and, and the reason, there's a, there's a couple of reasons, but the main reason is because I truly believe in the depths of my soul that there is someone who is sitting in this room right now, or there's someone who happens to be watching us on Facebook Live right now, that for them, this specific message is exactly what they need. And you say, how do you know that? It is because when I was studying and preparing to, to, to get to teach this, it was exactly what I needed. Um, this has the potential to be a very, very, very powerful series, but specifically this message has some potential to make a real impact. And I don't know who you are. I do not know where you're sitting. I do not know where you're watching us from. But I feel very confident that there is someone that this message has been prepared for you. So I'm excited about what God's going to do. Now, before we get started, I feel like I need to, we need to give a disclaimer very quickly. This series that we are doing for the, this week and the next two weeks, um, this is something that Harley and I have learned from a mentor. So this is not something that we have created. This is not a teaching series that we have created. This is a teaching series that we have picked up from a mentor. So this is something that we have been taught. Um, we are going to do our best uh, to present this as accurately as we possibly can the way we learned it because we really believe that if we can do that, if we can be successful in that, that this has the potential to, be, um, to really change the angle with which we view this time of year, this Christmas season. And so uh, just kind of wanted to want to get that disclaimer out there. This is not our material. We are simply going to teach what we have been taught. And as we do that, we want to start with a statement. Um, now, this statement, when, when I make this statement, I, I want you to kind of internally in your heart, in your mind, if this applies to you, simply in your mind, say, yeah, that's me too. I, I, 100%, I'm with you, I'm behind you, I agree with that. Now, you don't have to audibly say it, not asking you in a show of hands or anything like that, but just internally, when I say this statement, if this applies to you, then Say that. Say, hey, yeah, that's me. I'm all over that. So here's the statement. This is what we're going to start out with this morning. Let's focus on this statement. Christmas can be complicated. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Christmas, for many of us, this season that we call Christmas, can be, for many of us, complicated. Now, for various reasons, uh, as life happens, uh, feelings can get hurt relationships can be estranged, um, marriages end, uh, new relationships are added, children begin to have children, and it tends to complicate things. Now, the why, the when, the how, the what, that's, that's not what we're talking about this morning. So, you know, we're not in here, this isn't psychology class. We're not talking about why it's complicated. Um, we just are going to accept, I hope, as a group collectively in this room and watching on Facebook Live, the reality that for many of us, this time of year, this Christmas season, can be complicated. Now, for us, for Beth and I, for our family, it can be complicated. Now, we are very fortunate. Beth and I are very blessed in that um, my, fam my, my parents are still married and her parents are still married, so we're not really having to deal with the, the added stress and pressure that, that divorce and, and ended relationships can bring, so we don't really have to deal with that. And I'm sure that everyone has a different layer of complication this time of year. So we're not trying to compare complications, but just for us, it can be a complicated time of the year. Um, for, for me personally, 
I was uh, 23. I, I got to get all these numbers right. Miss Beth hears this later on in the week, so I got to make sure I get this right. 23. I was 23 when I got married, when Beth and I were married. And for the first 23 years of our life, uh, or my life, our Christmas was pretty much the same. There was a few variations yearly, but for the most part, on Christmas Eve, and, and some of you may share this, on Christmas Eve, we would get together, my mom, my dad, my brother, myself, and we would go to my dad's side of the family, and we would celebrate Christmas Eve with them. And we would celebrate Christmas Eve with them and the uncles and aunts and cousins. And it was always a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. And then Christmas morning, it would just be us. And then Christmas, uh, later on Christmas, kind of afternoon, evening, we would go to my mom's side of the family. And that's what we did every year, with the exception of very few, for 23 years. That was Christmas, in my mind. Beth was similar. Uh, for her time uh, before we were married, that uh, they would go to her Dad's side of the family on Christmas Eve, her mom's side of the family on Christmas Day, pretty much, and, and without fail, that's what happened. And so for 21, 22, 23 years, that was Christmas. And then July 29th, 2006, that changed because we were married. And so I was added to her family, she was added to my family, and that changed things up a little bit. We began to have, kind of have to uh, be a little bit more flexible, and it complicated Christmas a little bit. Nothing bad. I don't mean to say that it was a problem. It just, it was different. It changed things up a little bit. And then on February the 9th, 2012, it got a little more different because we had our first daughter. We had, our, had Ella. And Ella, she has the rare opportunity that she is the only, was at that time, the only granddaughter on my side of the family. She was the only grandchild, I should say, on her mom's side of the family. And so Ella was the purpose for Christmas, you know. I'm, she was, she's big, big stuff, you know. I mean, she was, she was, for about three and a half years, she was the show on both sides of the family. And it, and it when you add children, begin having children, it, it complicates things. And again, not, not big. Some of you are sitting out there thinking, man, if that was the only complication I had at Christmas, I would be good. And that's fine. But for us, that, that's, that was a little bit of a complicating factor. But we can all agree that Christmas can be complicated. And, and Christmas, though, is an interesting time of the year because it's a time where some of the most wonderful things in our life intersect with some of the most complicated facets of our life and further intersect with some of the most painful parts of our life. And it's just this time of the year where it just seems like everything happens all at once. And in fact, to take it a step further, Christmas is also a time of the year where it just seems like the Christmas season acts as like this giant magnifying glass on our life. You know what I mean? Just this huge magnifying glass. So everything seems to get a little bit bigger. Um, pain seems to be a little bit more painful. Bad seems to be a little bit badder. Uh, that's not a word, I know, but, but you get what I'm trying to say. It, just, it seems like Christmas just magnifies the bad stuff. You know, um, if you have, and again, each person is individually different, but if you have had a loss in your family, and in fact, I listened to my dad and my grandmother talk about this um, yesterday. We were in Hot Springs. My, my grandma's in, in the hospital right now, and we were in the hospital sitting there, and I listened to my dad and my grandma talk about this. They were talking about the loss of their parents. And they said, man, just Christmas, it, it's a little bit tougher. You know, and my dad's mom passed away three years ago, and my grandma's mom passed away almost 25 years ago, but she still said, December's a little harder. And so if there's a loss in March, the loss is there, but in December, it's a little tougher. Um, if there's a relationship that's broken, you know, in June, eh, it's, it's pretty tough, but man, it's December 24th, December 25th, 
just seems like those things get um, a little bit more complicated, a little bit, um, a little bit heavier. And so the statement that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year can be hard to, to swallow for some people. And taking that a step further, Christmas really isn't the most wonderful time of the year for people because of what is happening in their lives, because of what is happening in the present tense. Um, problems that we cannot solve. People that we really can't control and expectations that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much effort we put into it, we cannot meet. And, and to kind of put that looking into the mirror, um, problems that I cannot solve, no matter how hard I work, people that I cannot control, no matter how hard I try, and expectations that I may place on other people that they cannot hope to meet. Christmas can, for many people, is not the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening in the present tense. But change the angle just a little bit. So remember we talked about at the beginning we were going to try to change the angle with the way we looked at this Christmas season? Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year because of what has happened, past tense. What has happened? Christmas, think about it, that singular moment on God's timeline of events from the creation to December the 16th, 2018, that moment that we call Christmas that set up and allowed for the possibility of Easter. That moment. In that moment that we call Christmas, where God sent Jesus to be at the center of my life, and it all happened right there at the manger. Right there in that moment that we call Christmas. And that manger gives me the possibility to have stability. It gives me the possibility that in the midst of my very complicated life and your very complicated life and complicated relationships and complicated situations, that moment of Christmas and that moment at the manger gives you the ability and the opportunity that you can live and I can live without fear. You see, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening. It is not the most wonderful time of the year because of um, who is with us, who's sitting around the table on Christmas Eve, who's sitting in front of the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. That has nothing to do with why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Instead, it's the most wonderful time of the year because of who is for us. So just for a second, let's hit the pause button. We all, I think, tend to agree that Christmas can be complicated. We all agree that that complication tends to be magnified this time of year. But just for a second, let's hit the pause button and let's look at how God lit up Christmas and in doing so, lit up the world. Now, if you have come to church two times in your life, you probably know that the beginning of the New Testament begins with the Gospels, these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are four very separate books and they are firsthand um, primary source accounts of there's one purpose, the life of Jesus. And that's the reason Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John exist, is it's this firsthand primary account of the life, the death, uh, everything that we know about Jesus comes from these four books. And it's important to note that they are history. These aren't fairy tales. These aren't books 
uh, you know, in line with Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol or Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. These are actual historical events that happened. They are, uh, they, they are about a real man who walked on a real earth at a real time and did real things. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're primary accounts. They're, they're eyewitness accounts. Um, anybody that, you know, if you remember from school, you know, when you were in high school or college or whatever the case may be, and you were asked to do a, a research paper or something like that, some of you, you students that may be in here right now, I know we've got some students sitting over in, on the swing, you know when you're doing your research paper, right? And you have to, uh, the, the teacher says you have to have a certain number of secondary sources and you have to have a certain number of primary sources. Well, secondary sources um, kind of hearsay, it's secondhand, thirdhand information, but the primary source, man, that's the golden ticket when it comes to writing a research paper because that means you are getting the information that from the guy that saw it, heard it, happened. The primary source. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are primary sources. They are the um, four Gospels of Jesus' life. And the first three of those primary sources are, they give very detailed genealogies for, for very good reason, but they give a very detailed genealogy in Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, uh, I was talking with somebody this morning about some of the genealogies of the, of the Gospels. But those first three books give a very detailed genealogy of Jesus' um, lineage and what came before him. But John, the fourth of those four Gospels, a little bit different. Well, a lot different, actually. John's quite a bit different. Now, it does give a genealogy, but it's different. It's a different type of a genealogy, and there's some good reason for that. The first one being that John, when he wrote his gospel, he was an old man. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written when they were relatively young, relatively quickly after the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written probably within the first 15 to 20 years of, um, of that happening. John, however, was written many years later. John was the latest of the four Gospels. John was an old man. He had seen a lot of things. He had experienced a lot of life. John had experienced life. He had experienced love. He had experienced relationships. He had experienced hardship. He had experienced death. He had experienced a lot of complication. So this John, this old, older John, um, probably the, the Gospel of John, probably written maybe as many as 40, 50 years after Jesus' ascension. This John, we think about who he was. This is the John that had lived through the persecution of the early church by the Roman Emperor Nero. He had seen all of these things. This has already happened. He has this first-person eyewitness perspective of this very, very, very hard time, a time where Christians were actually um, taken and they were tarred and they were set on fire and they were placed on poles down the, to, to light the roads and the, the alleyways of, of Rome. They were literally burned alive. This is the same John who um, had seen basically every one of his closest friends die a very, very violent death. All of the uh, what we would call the, 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 the New Testament, um, the, you know, the, the, the apostles and, and all of the New Testament, uh, everything in the New Testament narrative, all, almost all of these, these people are gone. They're dead and they've died very violent deaths. Paul, or excuse me, John would have, have seen, he would have witnessed um, Paul be beheaded in Rome. He would have known that it happened. He would have seen Peter be crucified in Rome. That's already happened. Um, he would have seen 
according to church history, Andrew, who would have been crucified in Greece. He would have seen that Thomas was literally speared to death in what we call today India. He would have seen already, and this is uh, church history tells us that Matthew would have been stabbed to death in Ethiopia the country today of Ethiopia. He would have seen and he would have heard tale of James who was clubbed to death, literally beaten to death in Syria. These would have been John's contemporaries and they would have all died a horrible, violent, terrible death. John would have seen all of those things. This is the same John who um, during the time that he, he was living, church history tells us probably actually living in Jerusalem at the time. John would have been one when he, before he wrote his gospel about Jesus, he would have seen as the Roman general Vespasian would have been dispatched to Israel, to Palestine, for the purpose of pretty much wiping out the culture. He would have seen as millions of his countrymen would have been killed. He would have seen as his city would have been besieged for seven months. He probably was in the city when that took place. He would have been a part of that, that group of, of, of Jews who would have been literally starved and starved to death. He would have seen as the city walls would have fallen, as the Romans would have come in, they would have taken definitely over 100,000 and maybe as many as 300,000 um, Jews and sold them into slavery. He would have been witness to the temple burning to the ground. He would have been witness to basically the systematic destruction of everything he understood about his culture. Gone. The John that wrote the book of John, the, the, the gospel of John, saw some pretty terrible things. And yet, he never loses faith. But how do you know? How do, you, how do you know that John, this guy that has been witnessing some of the most atrocious things in the history of the world, a darkness that we probably can't comprehend in all likelihood, how do you know he never lost the faith? The very last two verses of his gospel, John chapter 20, it's going to be on the screen. John chapter 20, verses 30 uh, and 31. This is what John says. It's on the screen. The disciples, this is John writing, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. John's basically saying here, he's saying, hey, everything we wrote down for you, that doesn't even scratch the surface. We're just giving you the high spots, you know. This is, this is, there's not enough paper to record everything. So we're just kind of giving you the stuff. And, and the reason is in verse 31. He says, the reason we're telling you these things, and he's writing to the first century church, but it applies to us, December the 16th, 2018, he says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. Life isn't, you know, like in all caps there, but it probably should be. You will have life by the power of his name. So even though John, who has lived through some of the most horrible things we can imagine, witnessed death, witnessed persecution, I mean, he's seen some stuff. The same John still believed that Jesus was life. And there were very few people that would have known John, uh, Jesus the way John did. In fact, probably no one walking on this earth has ever known Jesus quite like John. Very good possibility. They were probably what we would call best friends. Um, you say, how do you know that? Does the Bible say that John and Jesus were best friends? It doesn't specifically say that. But if you can kind of read between the lines a little bit, it does. Because when Jesus was being crucified, he's up on the cross, we do not know how many people were actually there at the crucifixion. 
we, we assume there were a lot, but we know a few specifics. And two of the people that we know without question were at the crucifixion of Jesus were Mary, his mother, and John. And the reason that we know that is because as Jesus is being crucified, and I'm paraphrasing, but as Jesus was being crucified, he looks at John, the Bible says he looks down at John, and he says, John, he points at his mother, this is your mother now. And then he looks at Mary and he says, Mary, this is your son. In other words, as Jesus is being crucified, he says to John, I want you to take care of my mama. Now, as a guy with a mama, there ain't a whole lot bigger, bigger statements to make than that. I want you to take care of my mama. I mean, the guys in here, you can agree or not, I don't know, but I think the, the guys in here, can most, most of us agree, that's a pretty big statement. And Jesus says, John, take care of my mama. And Mary, my mother, treat John just like you would me. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but ch again, church history tells us that John did do that. Uh, church history says that John and Mary actually went to Ephesus, where John founded a church, the church of Ephesus, and that probably John took care of Mary until the day she died. So, John knew Jesus really well. I mean, you think about it. John has the opportunity on a daily basis to talk to the mother of Jesus. And you know he would have had that. You know, first of all, Mary would have had to talk about Jesus. She would have had to have talked about what it was like, you know, when Jesus was born. She would have had to have talked about what it was like raising Jesus. And you know that John would have asked questions. You know John would have asked questions like, Mary, tell me what it was like when you found out you were pregnant. Mary, tell me what it was like when you got to meet, you saw the angel. Tell me what it was like when you walked into Bethlehem and you walked up and there was no room in the inn and you had to go in a stable and you had to lay him in a manger. Mary, tell me what that was like. What did that feel like? What did you see? What did you... What, was it, what did it smell like? What did it hear it sound like? I mean, what was it like? You know that he had to ask, what was it like, Mary, when you were told that you needed to go to Egypt and get away from your home because King Herod was going to kill all of the baby boys two years and older? Mary, tell me what it was like. And you know they had, that John would have known everything. And yet, and this is the interesting part of the story, and yet, even though John probably knew the birth story, the, the narrative about Jesus' birth better than anyone who has ever lived, stands maybe Mary herself. That's not how John begins his gospel. He really doesn't talk about it. The other three do. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they pretty much begin with the birth narrative of Jesus. They tell the story, but John doesn't. John instead kind of changes the angle a little bit. Instead of talking about the actual event of Jesus' birth, John instead talks about the significance of Jesus' birth. He kind of changes it from talking about the what to talking about the why. This is why it happened. Now, I should back up just a little bit, though. Because we talked about how John had uh, uh, waited so long to tell these stories. He had waited so long to write these things down. But that is not the only time he had told these stories because the book of Acts tells us that John would have told these stories in an oral history many, many times. Uh, you can imagine if you actually had the opportunity today to talk to someone who had actually walked with Jesus, you would ask questions and he would tell you. you know? So he has told these stories many times. But John talks about the why as opposed to the what. And, and we know that because of how he starts his book. He doesn't start it with, and in those days there were in the same country shepherds. And y'all all know the Christmas story. You all watch Charlie Brown, right? Yeah. 
Everybody's watched Charlie Brown. We know what Linus says. Lights, please. And he goes on the Christmas tree. Luke 2. That's not how John started. John starts with the significance. In fact, um, on the screen, John chapter 1, verse 4. This is how John starts. His eyewitness, firsthand, primary account of Jesus. He says, the word, that is Jesus, gave life, there's that word life again, to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Now that word everyone, again, that's one of those that we probably should have like bolded. But that word everyone is important because before Jesus, the belief was that the Messiah was coming just for the Jews. No one else. Me and you, as Gentiles, non-Jews, we, we didn't really count. That was what people thought. The Messiah was going to come and he was going to put everything back the way it was supposed to be. But John says, no, no. Jesus, the word, he came for everyone. Me included. How does he know? Well, remember, just before he is about to ascend, Jesus says to his disciples, go and teach everyone, all mankind. Everybody needs to hear this, this story. Everyone needs to hear about me. So John says he, he came for everyone, not just Israel. And he continues in verse 5, John chapter 1, verse 5. And he says, the light shines in the darkness. Now you think for a second. This is an old John. This is a John that's witnessed death, persecution, loss, sickness, pain, starvation. I mean, he's, he's seen some stuff. This is a John that has lived life. And yet... This is the John that says, as he's writing his book toward the end of his life, and he starts it by saying, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Another version uses the word overcome it. The light, or excuse me, the darkness can never overcome the light. And from the outside looking in at that time, from the outside looking in, if we were living at that time period, if we were seeing the things that John had seen, we were witnessing firsthand, we were hearing the stories, we were, we were being told about the mothers who lost their children as a result of death or slavery, or we had seen all of our closest friends uh, uh, killed in a violent way, we had seen our entire culture just slowly be systematically destroyed, it would probably feel likely that darkness was actually winning. John had lived through so much. But... It wasn't. It wasn't. In fact, we know that at that time the early church was growing. It was thriving. Lives were changing. Even though it seemed so dark and so terrible and so complicated, the darkness wasn't winning. John's saying here that no amount of darkness, no matter how dark it seems, can put out the light that Jesus shines into that darkness. And John could attest to that. Again, think of the things he had seen. Think of the life that he had lived. Now, today, December the 16th, 2018, obviously things are a little bit different. We don't have to deal with persecution as much in the United States. We really don't experience that. But um, darkness is still prevalent. And each person that's in here, and that's the reason we started with that, you know, there's someone in here right now that's pretty dark. There's someone in here right now that it feels like the darkness is really, really about to take it over and is about to shut down what little bit of light there is left. The world in, 2016, or in 2018, it, it contains death, sickness, lost relationships, broken homes, um, children without mothers, children without fathers, children without both mothers and fathers, uh, people that are dealing with depression, people that are dealing with an immense pain that I don't understand. 
that only if you have experienced it can you understand it. And as we mentioned at the beginning, it just seems like Christmas time magnifies it. Just makes it a little tougher. And it makes it a little harder. And it makes it a little more raw, a little more painful, and the bad seems a little bit worse around this time of year. And at Christmas, we have seemingly more than usual problems that we cannot solve. We have people that we cannot control, and we have expectations that no matter how hard we try, we can't meet. But we're reminded by John in his gospel, written at an old age, at a time when he had seen some stuff. We're reminded by John that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and that there is not any type of darkness that can put it and that is hard to believe sometimes. You're sitting there right now, some people watching us on Facebook Live, and you're sitting, man, you just don't know. You don't know the stuff that I'm dealing with right now. You don't understand the level of depression I'm having to deal with. You don't understand the family situation I'm dealing with. And you're right, I don't. I don't. And if Harley were up here right now, he would say the same thing. He doesn't. We don't. But John did. And John does. And he says that no matter how dark it might seem, no matter how hopeless it might feel, the darkness cannot overcome the light. And say, what is that light? That light's Jesus. This Christmas moment, this time. It's a wonderful time of the year. But not because of what is happening in our lives. Not because of who is around the tree not because of who is sitting at our table, not because of who is there or who is not there. It's the most wonderful time of the year instead because of what is happened and who is for us. The light of Jesus has penetrated darkness and that darkness cannot put it out. If John can say that, we certainly can. There's always hope. There's always a God who hears our prayers there's always a reason to wake up and take that next step every single day. And it all began right in that moment that we call Christmas. That manger that we talked about at the beginning um, of our time, that, that manger, that, that singular moment of Christmas, that's where it all started. It all changed right there. And that allows us to change now. Now, every week, we, we talk about next steps. Sometimes we'll give one, sometimes we'll give more. We've got two next steps this morning that I would encourage you if when we started and I made that statement that Christmas time for many of us can be complicated. And if in your heart and in your mind you thought, yep, that's me, it's complicated, then I would encourage you to just take a shot at these next two next steps, or these two next steps that we have this morning. The first one being, during the week, whenever you encounter that moment where life gets complicated, wherever you uh, get to that moment where you feel like that, that light that Jesus brings, well, man, that darkness is awful dark. I don't know. It's awful dark. Just pause in your day and read and reread John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 
not a big one. Just, in fact, you could probably have it memorized by, by the end of the day. But when, when it feels like the darkness is overwhelming your life, and I don't know what that darkness is. Everyone in here, everyone watching us on Facebook Live, it's different for everyone. But whenever it feels like that darkness is just about to extinguish the light that you've got left, pause and read and reread John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and see what John said. A man who had experienced darkness. And the second thing we ask you to do, these last two weeks of 2018, it's hard to believe. feels like we were just talking about the first series of 2018. But these last two weeks of 2018, make it a priority to at some point watch or listen to these last two messages in this series. Whether it be coming on Sunday morning, whether it be watching us on Facebook Live, SoundCloud.com, it doesn't matter, but make it a priority these last two weeks. We've only got two left in 2018. Make it a priority to watch and or listen every single week. And watch how God lit up Christmas for all of us so many years ago. Let's pray. God, we know that this topic lands very, 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 very different on every heart and every mind that is watching or is listening or is in the room right now. For some of us, God, we, we truly feel like that the light of hope is just almost extinguished. It's just almost gone. For others, this is a reminder of what we've known every single Christmas for as far back as we can remember. And God, we just, we thank you for you sustaining truth. And we thank you that you sustained John for all those years. For as dark as we may think things are today, they're nowhere close to as dark as they were and what he experienced. God, we thank you that through the ages we've been given the privilege of hearing from someone who sat at the feet of light. And Father, we, as we navigate through this Christmas season, this sometimes complicated time of the year, God, we just ask that we would not lose sight of the fact that there is a risen Savior who is the light of all mankind and who has brought us life. Amen.